of my life. When I was a kid, you guys think I'm a nut anyway, but that's okay. I had this harebrained idea that I was going to create Snake Island, okay? Are you with me? So as a, as a kid, I was going to go around and I was going to collect all these snakes that I was going to find and I was going to... <laughs> it's a true story, okay? I'm not pulling your leg. So I was going to, I was going to catch all these snakes and I, was going, and I was going to put them in a bag and I was going to put them on this, on the, on the, in the pond, but there was an island on the pond that was, you couldn't get to, and I was going to create my own snake island, okay? Are you with me? Are we on the same page? Now do you think I've lost my mind? Are you ready to leave? It's okay, I promise. There's a, there's a good point behind this, but it's true. And I had a four-legged chicken, too, just so you know that. <laughs> this is an honest, this is a truthful story, people, Okay. So anyway, I was going to create this snake island. Well, somewhere in, in the, and I, and I was doing this, and I don't know what happened, but every time I would throw snakes on this island, they never would end up on the island. I don't, so I don't know where they were going. I guess they were swimming off. But, but uh, I, remember, I remember one night that um, I woke up in the middle of the night, but before I woke up, I remember this dream very vividly. In the middle of my bed, sleeping, there were all of these snakes and they were all over me. And when I woke up, truth be told, I'm on the back side of my headboard of my bed. How I got there, I have no earthly idea. But I was standing on the on the on the perched on the on the headboard of my of my bed because there were snakes all in my bed. Are you with me? Are we on the same page? True story. True story. Now, this is the point. Perception is reality. Are you with me? Were there any snakes in my bed? Not at all. <laughs> but when in my dreams, there were snakes all in my bed. To the point that I had crawled up in and up on my headboard and I was scared to death. But even though perception is reality, our perception isn't always real, is it? Our perception isn't always right. Sometimes things aren't as they appear. More specifically, how many of us sometimes confuse the connection between what's going on in our lives, the situations that we may be experiencing in life, and God. I want you to think about that. Because sometimes they can appear as if they're one and the same. To make my point, how many of us ever thought good experiences, good God? Bad experiences, bad God? You hear me? Good experiences, God's all right. God loves me. God cares for me. God wants to meet my needs. And all of a sudden, something happens in life, and, all, and then all of a sudden, our thoughts about God begin to change because maybe God doesn't love me as much as I thought he loved me. Maybe, not, maybe God's not as good as I thought he was. And then all of a sudden, we begin to struggle. 
And it's easy for discontentment in life to lead us to a place of discontentment with God. Are we on the same page? Very much so. When life is good, God is good. When life is bad, God is bad. In other words, when things aren't going the way that we necessarily want them to go, God can become the target of our accusations and our blame. Because if he's supposed to be in control anyway, if you're with me, and if we're honest, even those of us that are supposed to be strongest in our faith, if we're truthful, there have been times that your faith has been shaken, when you've doubted, when you've questioned. How many times has God gotten the blame in your family? How many times has God gotten the blame in your life? How many times have you pointed your finger at him and accused him? Well, we've been talking about, we started last week about some of the characters leading into the passion that were involved in the passion of Christ. And when I say the passion of Christ, those that were, that were involved in those last days that Jesus was here on earth, his suffering, those that were involved in it and, and were around during the crucifixion. Last week, we started with a man by the name of Judas. Judas was a guy who was on the inside and he was on the inside by position and also by association. Yet, even though he was a man who was on the inside, his heart was filled with greed. And we saw that last week. And he was filled with selfish motives. And in the end, he would betray Jesus for how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver he would betray Jesus. The cost of an everyday slave during that time frame. About five weeks worth of pay. Judas would betray Jesus and he would get what he wanted only to find out that what he thought he wanted really wasn't what he wanted. And Judas would end up taking his own life. Well, today we're going we're gonna to focus on the life of another, another character that we find inside of the story of the Passion. Um, this was a guy that we would find in prison in a Roman cell, and he was a criminal. Um, this is a guy that would eventually be put to death, and his death would serve for the purpose of illustrating what life would be like if you chose to rebel against the Roman Empire. Crucifixion, it was a public event. Um, and many people would gather to watch at this public event. It wouldn't surprise me if this criminal that we're going to talk about today had witnessed crucifixion before. If he himself had not been there, and witnessed the pain and the suffering of others who had been crucified before him. And it wouldn't even surprise me if the guy that we're going to talk about today, the criminal that was in prison that would eventually be crucified, and if he himself hadn't even heard the cries of a man being crucified. So he really wasn't, I don't think, a person that wasn't familiar with crucifixion because I believe that he was. I think that anybody that lived during that time would have been familiar. He, was also, he also probably knew that a person after they were, after they were crucified and after that they had, they had died, that their body would be taken down and it would be moved to the Valley of Gehenna, the city dump, where it would eventually be burned and rot. It would be left for the birds of prey 
to feast. But this morning, the criminal, he was, as he was taken out of that prison cell, he realized that he wouldn't be the only one that would be crucified, but there would be two other people that would be crucified as well. Another guy that was just like himself. But then there was another man. Another man, and he didn't even understand exactly why that he had been put in prison or why he would be crucified, and his name was Jesus. But on that day, there would be three that would be crucified. Now, we're going to look at the words of Luke and what he penned, and before we ever got to this place, Luke wanted us to understand and know that he had did his best to try to write down an accurate account of what had taken place during that day. But Luke wasn't the only one that recorded the acts of what took, him, took place because there were others that had also written down what had taken place. Um, and they had tried to provide an accurate account for us of the life of Jesus, but also the death of Jesus. And we see that in Matthew and Mark and also in John. But we're going to read today from the book of Luke, but I encourage you as an individual, as a family, to go back and even read the accounts of these others uh, in your own time. But today we're going to look at what Luke had to say. Um, and in chapter 23, um, Jesus had already been betrayed by Judas. He had already been arrested. He had already been put on trial, and nobody really wanted anything to do with it. Matter of fact, Pilate had washed his hands and said, listen, I don't want anything to do with this. This man's innocent. But the people wanted to crucify him. And so here we have it, Jesus and two others being led up the hill to be crucified. And this is where we pick the story up in verse 32 of chapter 23 in the book of Luke. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, Jesus, when they came to the place called the Skull or Golgotha, some say maybe it was that name because of the way it looked. Maybe it was just a normal place. It could have been a place that was very familiar to everybody. That was the place where they crucified people. But they nailed him to the cross there, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And with those words, crucifixion, we find the emotions of what? What do you think the words crucifixion Bring to mind suffering, pain, shame. What else? What? Punishment, anger, humiliation, rage, agony. Sometimes it would take a person hours to die, other times it may take days. But the way they were crucified wasn't always the same. The Romans weren't the ones that had perfected, um, weren't the ones who had created crucifixion, but they were the ones who had perfected crucifixion. And the, but what was consistent each time was the suffering, the pain, and the humiliation that took place in reference to crucifixion. The Romans wanted everybody to know this. If you betray us, if you cross us, if you rebel against us, this is what will happen. This is what you can expect. And the scripture tells us that on both sides of Jesus, there were, there were two men, two criminals. 
And, and in verse 34, look at what it says as they were hanging there. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now, I, I have to say, guys, I don't think that those were two words that had been mentioned from the cross before that time or after that, after that time. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. And he went on to say, for they don't know what they're doing. It was all the most to make an, as to make an excuse for their actions. The crowds that were there, those that were involved in crucifying him, and the story goes on to say, and Luke writes, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And in the middle of that, Jesus mentions and cries out and prays to his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When's the last time that you've forgiven somebody when they've hurt you? Oh, but you just don't understand how bad they've hurt me. You don't understand how deep the wounds go. And yet Jesus did. And while he was there, he, he did the unthinkable. He prayed. Luke goes on to mention some of the different people that were, that were involved, that were there when they were being crucified. And he says in verse 35, there was the crowd that watched, the crowd, and then there was the leaders who scoffed. Like I said earlier, crucifixion was a public event. And if somebody were being crucified in this community today, probably all of us would have been there. It's what you went to do. You went to see. They were curious. And the crowds were there. They watched. And the leaders, they, they scoffed or they mocked or they made, they made fun of. The leaders, the rulers, they were gathered there. The ones that were responsible for arresting Jesus. And they were there because they were threatened by his popularity. Somebody cried out, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. See, they really would welcome Jesus' death because his death would mean that the threat that they had felt because of his popularity, that would finally be over with. So the crucifixion would end those fears. But there was also another group who was there. Who was it? It was the soldiers. Not only were the leaders mocking him, not only were the crowds sitting there and staring at everything that was going on, but the soldiers also mocked him. Now, I don't know where we get all of our thoughts from in reference to crucifixion, but sometimes you see a cross being way, way up. But this cross here probably is a whole lot more would have, what it would have been like. Jesus probably would have hung some six, maybe eight inches off of the ground. They wanted it to be close to the ground because they wanted to be able to look the person in the eye that was being crucified. There was another part of the, another part of the humiliation, another part of the, the process of the shame that went on. They also wanted other people to be able to look them in the eyes. They could see the agony and the pain and the suffering that was taking place. So that it would be a reminder to them, don't do it. Or this could happen to you. The suffering, 
the humiliation as people would walk up and they were able to look him in the eye, but not only look him in the eye, but point their finger at him and mock him as well and also spit on him is what the scripture had to say. And the Roman soldiers, the ones that walked up there and the ones that hurled the insults, it went on to say that they offered him a drink of, of sour wine. There were two times in the scripture that we find that Jesus was offered something to drink. One time, it was sour wine that was filled with myrrh to deaden the pain, and they would do that so that it would, it would, it would allow him the opportunity to last longer. Jesus refused it, wouldn't drink it. He endured the full blow of sin's pain and suffering there on the cross. The second time was near the end when Jesus said, I thirst. And at that time, they would offer him sour wine. A drink the Romans often drank to kill the thirst. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they referred to Jesus as the king of the Jews. When Pilate handed over Jesus to be crucified, we find out that there was a sign that would be fastened above him with these words. The king, this is the king of the Jews. That's, that's what he wanted fastened to that sign. The religious leaders didn't want it to say that. They wanted it to say, here is a man who claims to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate said, no, no, that's not what we're going to put on the sign. This is the king of the Jews. Because he wanted them again to know this is what happens to anyone who chooses to defy the Roman Empire. They continued to mock Jesus. So you got the crowds, you've got the religious leaders, you've got the soldiers, and now you've got the criminals, the guys on both sides of Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Luke mentions that one of the criminals is the one that, that, that hurled the insults. The book of Matthew mentions both of them. Sometimes we come to the scene of an accident from a different perspective. Maybe Luke only heard the one. Maybe Matthew heard both of them, but it really doesn't matter because both of them hurled insults on the cross. And in the chaos of the moment with all the eyes on Jesus, one of the criminals hanging beside him said this, so, you, so you're the Messiah, are you? In other words, you're the one sent by God? You're the one? In other words, if you're the one, why in the world are you in this predicament? If you're the one that came to save us from the, from the, from the sins of the world, why are you? Why, if you're the Messiah, if you're the deliverer, why are you in this situation? Why are you in this mess? And he cries out, prove it by saving yourself. Matter of fact, us too, while you're at it. And in the midst of the suffering and all of the insults and the mocking and everything that was taking place in the, in the suffering of that moment, one of the criminals began to sense that there was something that was different. Our character in the passion began to sense that there was something that was different with Jesus, and he remembered the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
I mean, you have, to, you have to think. I mean, this man wasn't being crucified too far away from Jesus himself. He was experiencing the emotions. He was experiencing the, the, the shame and the humiliation and everything, all of it was, that was going on at that time. And he realized that Jesus wasn't like himself. Jesus wasn't a criminal, but Jesus was a righteous man. And it says that he spoke up and he said, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? And the criminal began to recognize that even in the suffering and the, in the abuse that Jesus was enduring, that he hadn't abandoned his faith. That even though Jesus was being unjustly punished, that he hadn't walked away from God. And he cried out, we deserve to die for our crimes. We deserve to die. But this man, this man has done nothing. Do you think those in the crowd heard? Do you think that the soldiers heard? Do you think that the religious leaders heard what he said? I have to believe that they did. This man, we deserve to die. We deserve to, to go through the suffering and the abuse and the crucifixion. But not this man. This man's done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And all of a sudden, he began to see things differently. He began to see that Jesus was different. Kind of stop for a second and say this. That when you, walk with, when you walk with the Father, people can see that you're different. Let me say that. When you walk with the Father, people can see that you're different. Do the people that walk close to you, do they see that you're different? Or do you just look like everybody else? Are you just another pretty face in the, in the game? I mean, when you walk through the struggles of life, do people see that you're different because maybe you don't, maybe you don't run in the midst of a struggle? Maybe you, did, maybe you don't complain or gripe or, or get all unsettled in the midst of a struggle, but maybe there's a sense of peace about you because you know that your daddy's got everything covered. But this man, this criminal that we're talking about, knew that Jesus was different and moments before he took his last breath, there was a conversation that took place with the criminal and Jesus. And in the midst of that conversation, there was, a, there was a conclusion that the criminal came to. If an innocent man who was suffering like a guilty man could maintain his faith in God, so could a man who was suffering for his wrongdoing, his own wrongdoing. Here was Jesus suffering, going through difficulty, and he had done nothing wrong. And yet he maintained his faith in God. Here was a criminal who was suffering for his wrongdoing. Where was his faith? 
Here's Jesus suffering not for doing anything wrong, yet he held on. On the other hand, here's a criminal who was being crucified and punished for his wrong, for his wrong choices and for his rebellion. And it was like scales begin to fall from this criminal's eyes and he began to see. He began to see the difference. He began to see and recognize that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And what did he say in verse 42? Jesus, remember me. Jesus, I recognize who you are. Will you please recognize who I am? Jesus, Jesus I, I see you for who you really are. Will you remember me? I want you to remember me when you come into your, your kingdom. And Jesus, I believe, and I don't want you to remember me because of what I've done, but I want you to remember me in spite of what I've done. And what did Jesus, and how did he respond? Look at what he said. He said, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Now listen, he didn't, he didn't say, okay, all right, let me tell you what. If, you, if you're going to trust in me, then here's a list of five things that you need to do to go down and join your local synagogue so that you can go to heaven in the next year. He didn't give him a whole list of things that he needed to do. He didn't say, listen, you better catch up your tithe record. You need to make sure that you up, your, up your church attendance a little bit. He didn't tell him, listen, you're deserving. You've earned it. You've been baptized. He didn't say any of those things. The criminal never promised to do better or to be better. The only thing he did was cry out for God's mercy because he saw who Jesus was and he believed. And Jesus' response was, today you'll be with me. In paradise. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because this is a really important statement. God's love for us and his thoughts about us aren't always reflected in what is happening in our immediate lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's love and his care and his thoughts about us aren't always reflected and what's happening in our immediate lives. And Luke goes on to give us the details in those last minutes in verse 44 when he says, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell in the whole land until three o'clock. For several hours they hung on the cross. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down from the middle then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. If you've grown up in church, in and around church, you understand the significance maybe of the curtain being torn. The temple was the center of Jewish faith and life. That's where they would go. That's where they would worship the Lord. That's where the sacrifices were made for their sins. That's where they would go to worship. And there in that temple, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God supposedly resided here on earth, and then the place where man was. 
And it was a symbol of the separation of man that had been caused by man's sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, you see where sin separated us from God. And that curtain was a visual symbol of the sin, of our sin and the separation it caused between us and God. And there was only one person, that, that high priest, that could go behind that curtain one time a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for the people. It's called the Day of Atonement. Some of you may have heard of it as Yom Kippur. One day a year, they go in to offer sacrifice for the sins. And the scripture says that it's a symbol that when Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain was torn in two, saying no more that separation. But Jesus' death on the cross paved a way for all of us to be able to have access to God. Every one of us. Regardless of what you had ever done in the past or would ever do in the future, the way was paved for you to have access to God. The significance of the cross, huge. But how many times has our faith in God been based on what's happening at the immediate moment in our lives. And see if there were some of you here today and you were to tell us your story of why you had walked away from God, if we were to sit and listen, man, we would go, yeah, man, I can't believe how you've held on so long. And yet what we learn from the story here at the cross is that regardless of my circumstances, God can be trusted. He can be trusted. God sent Jesus to bring us life. Not death, not to condemn us, but to bring us life. And that day, the criminal that was there chose to believe in spite of his circumstances. He chose to trust Jesus. And even though it didn't change his temporary pain, it didn't change the circumstances that he was face, facing, it changed his eternal destiny. His eternal destiny. And the takeaway for us is that in spite of the circumstances, Jesus didn't lose confidence in the Father. And in spite of whatever circumstances we may be facing, we don't have to lose our, our faith in the Father either. See, I know you and I know some of your stories I know some of you that have dealt with some tremendous tragedies, and in spite of those tragedies, you've continued to hold on. I know some of you that have walked through sexual abuse. I know some of you that have dealt with infertility. I know some of you that have dealt with um, uh, unfair loss of jobs or being fired from places or being wrongly treated by people. I know some of you that have dealt with tremendous things, and in spite of those things, you have continued to hold on to your faith. I've seen it. In spite of the struggles, when it would have been really easy to have given up and to have given in, you've not done it. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I think one of the bottom line thoughts from today that we can take away is that this, this is, it might be this, is that when life happens, and it happens fast, God can be trusted. 
That even in the worst of times, when it seems like there's no hope, when things are pressing in, God can be trusted. See, where the stress comes in and the struggle comes in is when we refuse to surrender and we wrap our hands tightly and we try to hold on. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. But when we're willing to open up, what ends up happening is that we become a candidate for God's living grace. We become a candidate to experience it fresh and new. Being able to say that I, I, I'm going to, in spite of the circumstance, in spite of the situation that I am facing, I surrender. I'm going to give it to you. And this is what I know is that every one of us in this room at some point have to make a decision about how we're going to choose to respond. That's it. It wouldn't surprise me if there are some of you that are completely exhausted because you've been holding on for a long time. Because you're afraid. Because you're afraid if you let go, God may not do what's right. He may not give you what you want. I wish I could tell you that God would give me what you want, but he didn't always give us what, he, what we want, does he? His plan is much bigger than that. We're going to have an invitation this morning. Brian's going to come. And in that invitation... There's going to be an opportunity for those of us here today that are believers, that are followers of Christ. And in that, and in that there's a time for you to, to respond because maybe there's something that's in your life that you're, that you're walking through and that you have just been, man, you've refused to let go. And you are just at wit's end. And I don't know what it may be. I have no idea, but you do. You're wrestling and your faith, you're very, very weak right now. And today you need to be encouraged. Today you might just need to make that step to say, listen, Jesus, I just want you to know I'm all in. And I don't understand it, but today I want to let go of whatever this is that I'm dealing with. I want to let go and say, I surrender. And I just want to say to you, I trust you with this. And I don't know which way it's going to go, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I just want you to know that I trust you with this. And this is one of the most difficult things that I've ever done but since trusting you. I say that I've placed my faith in you, but Jesus, this is really hard because I always thought that good things happen to good people. I didn't know I'm supposed to be a good person. This kind of stuff isn't supposed to happen to good people. And God, if you were so good, why in the world am I walking through this? And you're wrestling with that today. You're, you're struggling with that. And today you might just need to come and you just say, listen, our overseers are going to be here and some of our staff, you just need to come to them and say, will you pray with me? Will, will you pray with me? I, I need encouragement today because I'm struggling. 
There may be others of you here today that if you've given your life to the Lord, man, you have trusted Christ. You've stepped across the line, but you've never made your faith in Christ public. Your faith in Jesus is something that's over here on the side, and it's sort of like a silent commitment that you've made. And you really don't want to let anybody know. Today's that day to say, I want my faith to be known. I want my faith in Jesus to be a public faith. I want to make a stand. I want to be baptized. I want to publicly declare my faith in Jesus. Not because baptism saves you, because it doesn't. The story of the thief on the cross identifies, tells us that. But I wanted the world to know that I believe and that I trust and that I want to follow Jesus with all my life. That's my desire. The desire of my heart is that I want to surrender. So maybe that's you today. You'll have an opportunity to come. Or maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus because you've been so afraid of all the what-ifs. Today's the opportunity to get rid of the what-ifs. All the what-ifs that are on the, that just will kill you. Man, if today is that day that you say, I don't understand it all, but this is what I do know, based on what the Scripture has to say and the testimonies of those that were there, I believe that Jesus died on a cross and that He died on a cross so that I didn't have to try to save myself because I've come to realize that I can't do it. But He died once and for all to save us. And today... I want to believe that. I want to place my faith and my trust in Jesus. And man, I want to give it to Him and I want to follow Him with my life. And if that's you today, I wish I could tell you that it was just as simple as a prayer and you raising a hand and walking down. But it is a life commitment of saying every day from here on out, I want to choose to surrender my life to Jesus and I want to give it to Him. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust Jesus, can't today be that day? What better day than today to say, today I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. So our overseers are going to come, those that are here and some staff that maybe want to be a part of this time, you come and stand. And while they're coming, how will you respond? Because every one of us have to respond somehow. There's some of you that may not want to walk front. I understand that. I'm not here to embarrass you at all. There's a card that's in front of you. You can fill that out and tell us what's going on in your heart. But I have to believe deep down in my heart there's some of you that need to come. So you come. And at the end of this time, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. Father, I pray for us today as we walk through. Maybe we'd be reminded that it's so easy for some, so us sometimes to be so discontented with God because of the circumstances that we're walking through. And our perception becomes reality, but our perception can be wrong. Don't mistake the difficult times or situations in life that we may be facing as a fact that God doesn't love us or He doesn't care because that's not true. It's not true. Father, I pray for those of us that are having to deal with certain decisions and making those decisions today. 
There's some maybe coming saying, I need you to pray for me. There may be some coming to say, I, I need to be baptized to make my faith in Jesus public. There may be some coming here today saying, today, I want to make my stand and I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Whatever those decisions may be, may they come during this time of invitation. May they respond and may they come forward today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us?